In the 1800s, a man by the name of Hudson Taylor uh, went uh, from England uh, to China uh, to serve as a missionary uh, to the interior of China. Uh, There were a good number of Western missionaries who uh, were in the the port cities uh, on the coast of China, Uh, but very few missionaries had gone to the interior of China. Uh, Hudson Taylor founded the China Inland Mission, and uh, he is known for how he would wear his hair long and braided like the Chinese men of that time, how he wore the kind of clothes that the Chinese wore, how he ate the kind of food that the Chinese ate, how to the Chinese he became as a Chinaman. Now, that was not what Western missionaries were doing. Western missionaries were were coming, and they continued to wear Western clothes, to eat Western food, and to very much have the appearance of a Westerner. And so when Hudson Taylor went against that that, that flow as far as uh, the, 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 the approach of Western missionaries... Uh, Hudson Taylor was strongly criticized uh, by other missionaries for becoming like the Chinese, wearing his hair as a Chinaman, wearing Chinese clothes, eating Chinese food, and so forth. And that criticism was wrongly uh, lodged at Hudson Taylor. For Hudson Taylor, in doing these things, was simply following the example of the Apostle Paul in our text this morning. As we will see, Paul's example in our text is an example not only for foreign missionaries like Hudson Taylor to follow, but Paul's example in our text is actually an example for you and for me to follow as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ wherever the Lord has sent us with the gospel. Our text is chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, uh, which I will read to us now. So please stand in honor of the word of God, if you are able. Chapter 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. As we are going through the book of 1 Corinthians, paragraph by paragraph, we are in the middle of a section that goes from chapter 8, verse 1, through chapter 11, verse 1. 
Back in chapter 8, the Apostle Paul began responding to something the Corinthians wrote in a letter to the Apostle Paul, something that they wrote about food offered to idols. And Paul in chapter 8 rebuked the Corinthians. The Corinthian believers were eating in the temples of idols in complete disregard for some of their brothers who had been saved out of a life of idolatry. In the minds of the Corinthians, they had a right to eat in the temples because they had the knowledge that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. But Paul says, by eating in the temples of idols, uh, they could be putting a stumbling block in the path of some of their brothers, making their brothers stumble back into a life of idolatry. Paul sets himself forward as an example to follow when he says in chapter 8, verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And then Paul proceeds in chapter 9, verse 1 through verse 18, to give an example from his own life of foregoing personal rights for the sake of others in the service of Christ. Specifically, Paul speaks of how he gave up the right to receive financial support from the Corinthians. As an apostle and a minister of the gospel, uh, who, who brought the gospel to Corinth, uh, who, who planted that church there through the, the preaching and the teaching of the word of God, he had a right to receive financial support from them. And the church, after it was formed, would have wanted to give him that financial support, but, but Paul refused to make use of that right. He laid aside that personal right, and we learned why he did that. We saw that it was for the sake of others. It was for the sake of the gospel, that the gospel would be heard for what it is there in Corinth. And we, we saw some cultural reasons in Corinth why that was Paul's approach there in Corinth. Now Paul moves into our text where he speaks of making himself a servant to all as a minister of the gospel. And this really flows out of what he's already been saying in chapter 9 about giving up his rights for the sake of the gospel. And uh, we're going to see here uh, this, this morning uh, how Paul made himself a servant to all as a minister of the gospel, laying aside rights, laying aside freedoms for the sake of the gospel. Now look with me at uh, verse 19 of our text. In verse 19, Paul says in the middle there, I have made myself a servant to all. That's what this passage that we're going to study is about. Making oneself a servant to all in a very specific way. And what Paul's going to say here about making himself a servant to all is exemplary for us. It's an example for us to follow. For in chapter 11, verse 1, the last verse in this big section, he will say, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, in our text, we will first of all see the purpose for which we are to make ourselves servants to all. Second, we will see the people to whom we are to make ourselves servants. And thirdly, we will see the reason we are to make ourselves servants to all. First of all, the purpose 
for which we are to make ourselves servants to all. Look again at verse 19. For though I am free from all. This is something that the Apostle Paul brought up back in verse 1a. Look back at verse 1. He asked rhetorically, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? At that point, he continued to talk about being an apostle. But now he's going to pick up on this idea, Am I not free? And come back here to verse 19. He says, For though I am free from all. As he speaks of this freedom, he is further developing what he has been saying since verse 15a. If you look back at verse 15, he said, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. Talking about not making use of that right to receive financial support from the Corinthian church. Now he's going to continue that thought here in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Paul is not enslaved to any man. He is enslaved to Jesus Christ. To the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he voluntarily made himself a servant to all. Or as the New American Standard translates it, a slave to all. He voluntarily seeks to serve all people in service to Christ. He does not consider his freedom a thing to be grasped. He does not consider his rights a thing to be grasped. Now whom does this sound like? It sounds like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through verse 7a, we read, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of what? Taking the form of a servant. Think about what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verses 43 through 45. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see a reflection of Christ in Paul and his example here in our text. When he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Why? That I might win more of them. Now this word win is an important word in our text. Notice it here. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. This word win occurs five different times in our text. And it can also be translated with the English word gain. I've made myself a servant to all that I might gain more of them. Of them. What Paul means by winning people or gaining people becomes crystal clear down in verse 22. Look down at 22. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might what? Save some. That's what he means by winning people. Saving 
people. This is talking about spiritual salvation. The Apostle Peter uses the same term in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, when he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. To win a person means to lead them to Jesus Christ. Paul made himself a servant to all that he might lead more of them to Christ. Let me ask you, do you make yourself a servant to others that you might lead some of them to Christ? We're going to seek to understand what this means as we go through this text. But I already want you to be comparing yourself to Paul's example. Do you make yourself a servant to others that you might clearly share the gospel with them, that by God's grace they would believe and be one to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the purpose for which we are to make ourselves servants to all, as put forward in our text. Second, we see in our text the people to whom we are to make ourselves servants. The people to whom we are to make ourselves servants. In verses 20 through 22, we see that the Apostle Paul made himself a servant to the Jews, to the Gentiles, and to the weak. Look with me at verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Now that sounds striking because we know that Paul was a Jew. And yet he says, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Jews. Paul rightly understood that because of Christ, Jewish customs were no longer binding on him. What does Paul mean, to the Jews, I became as a Jew? Well, he tells us what he means in the second half of the verse. When he says, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Here in this verse, the law is the law of Moses. It is the old covenant. Paul was once under the law of Moses. He was born under the law of Moses. But he is no longer under the law of Moses. Turn over to Romans chapter 7, where we see this. Romans chapter 7. We'll start at verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Now go down to verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Notice in verse 4 that Paul says, You also have died to the law through the body of Christ, that is, through union with Christ in his death. Christ fulfilled the law on our behalf, including suffering the curse of the law on our behalf. 
And so Paul can say here in verse 4, You also, brothers, have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another that is to Christ. And then go down to verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that law which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The Mosaic law pronounced a curse upon anyone who did not do all things written in the law. And that is anyone uh, who tried to live under that law apart from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The law shows that we are sinners uh, who need a Savior. But Jesus Christ, he came and he fulfilled every part of the law. He fulfilled the law completely. He did what what we ourselves could never do uh, in our fallen condition. Living in complete obedience to the law, and then on our behalf, suffering the curse of the law. The curse that is pronounced upon anyone who does not do all things written in the law. Christ, who was obedient to the law, he suffered that curse on our behalf. And so, through faith in Christ, we are united with him in his death and resurrection. His death counts as the death that we owed, as he suffered the curse in our place. And being that the curse of the law uh, has been uh, paid, that, uh, that Christ has suffered it completely in our place, we are now freed from the law to live for Christ. Now go over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3 talks about the temporary purpose of the old covenant. The temporary purpose of the law of Moses. Galatians chapter 3. We'll look at verse 19. Galatians 3.19. Paul says, Why then the law? Talking about the Old Covenant law. The law of Moses. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Who is that offspring? Jesus Christ. Until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in in place through angels by an intermediary. Go down to verse 22. 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came. That's that's before Jesus came. We were held captive under the law. (coughs) Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. You see, God gave Israel the law of Moses to govern them until the coming of Christ, and to prepare them to receive Christ. It was to show them their need for Christ. It was to point them to Christ. It was to prepare them to receive Christ. And so the Christian is not bound by the ceremonial regulations in the law of Moses. We read in Mark chapter 7, verses 18 through 19, 
How, how Jesus said to His disciples, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled. And then Mark tells us, Thus He declared all foods clean. The law of Moses had, had given a list of all these unclean foods and clean foods. And the Jews were not allowed to eat the unclean foods. And this part of the Mosaic law was meant to separate Israel from the Gentiles until the coming of Christ. With the coming of Christ, Christ declared all foods clean. In Acts chapter 10, verses 10 through 16, we see this brought home to the apostle Peter. In Acts 10 verse 10, it says that Peter became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He's never eaten anything that was prohibited in the law of Moses. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. The thing was taken up at once to heaven. This was in preparation for Peter to receive the call from Cornelius, a Gentile, to come into his home to proclaim the things of the Lord. The food laws separated the Jews from the Gentiles. A Jew could not, under the law of Moses, go into a Gentile home and eat. But now Christ has come. The purpose of the Mosaic law is complete. And now the disciples of Christ are to go to the nations with the gospel. And so Peter is to go into the home of this Gentile. Peter is to eat with this Gentile in order to take the gospel to him. And so this is brought home to him. You are not to call unclean what God has now called clean. You can eat the foods that once were called unclean. And you can go into the home of a Gentile. And you can eat with a Gentile. In fact, that is what I'm calling you to do. In 1 Corinthians 7.19, we read, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Under the Old Covenant, uh, every Jewish male was to be circumcised on the eighth day. It was the sign of the covenant. But now the Old Covenant has fulfilled its purpose. And we read in 1 Corinthians 7.19, Neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 16-17, through 17, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. Now that, those were instructions in the Mosaic Law. These, these special days on the calendar, the special day of the week, in which Israel was to gather together. Ceremonial law. Colossians 2.16 and 17. 
Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. They had a role before the coming of Christ. They're they're, they're called shadows. They pointed forward to Christ, but now that, that Christ, the substance, has come, the ceremonies are no longer binding upon God's people. And so you can come back to our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. Paul says, To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law, that's under the law of Moses, the Jews, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. He once was, but he is no longer under the law of Moses, that I might win those under the law. The Apostle Paul elsewhere spoke vigorously against requiring Gentile believers to submit to the law of Moses with its ceremonies. Think about the book of Galatians. The Judaizers came to this Gentile church that was brand new and said that unless these Gentiles would be circumcised, they could not be saved. So saying, in order to be saved, a Gentile has to submit to the law of Moses, becoming a Jew. And Paul vigorously spoke against requiring Gentiles to become Jews by following the law of Moses. Because that adds works to grace. The gospel is the good news of salvation by God's grace received through faith, not works. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. The false teachers were adding works to grace and works to faith and works to Christ. We're saying the Gentiles have to be circumcised. Paul spoke vigorously against that. But he had no problem with Jewish believers continuing to observe some of the Mosaic regulations as long as they were not looking to this for a right standing with God. It was part of their Jewish identity. Paul says in our text, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law that I might win those under the law. Paul is saying that when he went to unbelieving Jews with the gospel, he followed Mosaic regulations so that he could enter into their world and gain a hearing. I want to show you two examples of this in the book of Acts. Turn over to Acts 16. Acts 16. We're going to start at verse 1 and go through verse 3. Acts 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. 
Timothy was born in one of the Galatian churches. And yet, Paul takes Timothy and he circumcises him in order to take him along with him in his missionary ministry. Now, why would Paul do this? We see here, Paul was an uncircumcised Jew. His mother was a Jew that made him a Jew, but he was uncircumcised. And it was known that he was uncircumcised, or it was figured that he was uncircumcised because his father was not a Jew. Paul circumcised Timothy in order to remove an obstacle to the gospel. Timothy, who is a Jew by birth, would have been seen by Jews as an apostate Jew if if he was not circumcised. His uncircumcision as a Jew would have been an obstacle to the gospel amongst the Jews. And so Paul, for the sake of the gospel, not, not for Timothy to have a right standing with God, Timothy was trusting in Christ alone as his Savior, Timothy was resting on the the, the grace of God in Christ for salvation. But for the purpose of gospel ministry, Paul had Timothy circumcised. So as to remove a potential obstacle to the gospel amongst unbelieving Jews. Turn over to one more example. It's in the 21st chapter. Acts 21. Acts 21, we'll begin at verse 17. We'll read 17 through 24. Verse 17. Paul says, or or, I'm sorry, Luke says, uh, Luke was with the Apostle Paul. Luke says, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. And they go down to verse 26. 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them, and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled, and the offering presented for each one of them. Enemies of the gospel were spreading lies about the apostle Paul amongst the Jewish people. The lie was that Paul was telling Jewish believers not to continue to to follow the Jewish practices found in the law of Moses. It was a lie. Paul did not tell the Jewish believers, stop doing these things. Now, 
the leaders of the Jewish church in Jerusalem call upon Paul for the sake of our Jewish brothers and for the sake of continued Jewish evangelism here in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, we ask you to follow an observance of the Mosaic Law regarding Nazarite vows. There were four Jewish believers who had taken a Nazarite vow. You learn about the Nazarite vow uh, in the, the Law of Moses. And Paul was asked to sponsor them in fulfilling this vow. And it involved going into the temple. Uh, offerings were given. Um, their heads were shaved. And their, their, their hair was offered as a burnt offering to the Lord in the temple. A symbol of their consecration to the Lord. This was a very Jewish ceremony. A Jewish ceremony that was based in the law of Moses. And Paul, for the sake of his Jewish, fellow Jewish believers, and for the sake of continued evangelism amongst the Jews, he follows this Mosaic regulation and he does this Jewish ceremony in the temple. This is the kind of thing that Paul's talking about in our text. You can come back here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, although not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. We can imagine that if Paul were to invite unbelieving Jews into his home, he would observe the Jewish food laws while he had those Jewish guests in his home. Or we can imagine that if he were to go into a Jewish home, he would observe the Jewish laws while in that Jewish home. He became as a Jew to the Jews. Paul even submitted to unjust synagogue punishments in order to continue to become as a Jew to the Jews. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, Paul says, Five times I received the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes less one. Five times he submitted to this Jewish punishment in the synagogue. You see, Jews were given special privileges to settle their disputes in their own courts. And if a person wanted to stay a member of the Jewish community, he had to submit to its discipline. Paul received those lashes as he took the gospel into the synagogue. And uh, he was seen as a blasphemer. And uh, he was punished. But he submitted to that. He didn't say, okay, I'm out of this. No, he submitted He submitted to that punishment in the synagogue in order to to continue to be as a Jew to the Jews. If following Jewish customs would open a door for witnessing to Jews, the Apostle Paul would gladly accommodate. To the Jews, he became as a Jew because he loved them and wanted to win them to Christ. Now, Paul not only made himself a servant to the Jews, he also made himself a servant to the Gentiles. If you look again in our text now, verse 21, 
Verse 21, To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Who are those outside the law? To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. He's talking about those who are outside the law of Moses. So he's talking about the Gentiles. The Gentiles who had not received an externally written law from God. Now Romans 1 teaches that this does not exempt Gentiles from God's wrath. Romans 1 says that even though the Gentiles did not receive the, the, the Scriptures, even though they did not receive the written law of God, God revealed Himself sufficiently to them to require them to honor Him as God, to give thanks to Him as God, and, and to obey the law that He wrote on their hearts, that their conscience testified to. And the Gentiles have suppressed the truth of God in unrighteousness. And so they are under the judgment of God, they are under the wrath of God, the condemnation of God, just as the Jew is, uh, who is seen by the law to be a transgressor of the law. Now Paul says, to those outside the law, to the Gentiles, I became as one outside the law. I became as a Gentile. Now, Paul tells us, he wants us to be clear, uh, he was not outside the law of God, meaning that we as Christians are not free from God's demands, We as Christians are not free from God's requirements. But he says that he and all other Christians are under the law of Christ. The law of Christ is also called the perfect law, the law of liberty. In James chapter 1 verse 25. We see that all of God's demand upon us as Christians is mediated through Christ. What is the law of of Christ? Paul says he's under the law of Christ. And it would mean that every believer is under the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is everything that Christ requires of us as His disciples. The law of Christ is found in the the New Testament's demands upon the follower of Christ. And it is found in the Old Testament as viewed through the lens of the New Testament. The law of Christ is not entirely different from the law of Moses. When you look through at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, you see that Christ requires us to do what in the Old Testament is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. As you look at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, you see that Christ requires us to do what was the second greatest commandment in the Old Testament. To love your neighbor as yourself. The law of Christ is not completely separate from the the, the law of Moses. There is overlap between the two. But we are not under the law of Moses. What we are under is the law of Christ. Christians should not be antinomians. The word antinomian, the word prefix anti meaning against, Nomian has to do with the law. An antinomian is someone who feels completely free from all of God's demands and commands. Christians should not be antinomians. Paul says, 
While we're not under the law of Moses, we are under the law of Christ. We're not outside the law of God. He has demands upon our life. He has requirements for how we are to live, mediated through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So here in verse 21, Paul says, To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. In other words, when Paul went to Gentiles with the gospel, he ignored the legal constraints that set Jews apart from Gentiles. He lived freely among the Gentiles as one of them. He laid aside the Jewish ways of life required by the law of Moses in order to enter into the Gentile world and win Gentiles to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter had to do this in Acts 10 when he went into the home of Cornelius with the gospel. He had to lay aside the law of Moses. He had to be as a Gentile to the Gentiles. Now our text does not say, to gossips I became as a gossip, or to adulterers I became as an adulterer. What Paul is saying here does not teach laying aside the moral law of God. What Paul is teaching here does not teach becoming worldly to reach worldly people. Christians are taught in the scripture not to be worldly. We're to be set apart from the world. We're not to live in the ungodly way that the world lives. Our text teaches that to the Gentiles, Paul, out of love, became as a Gentile in order to win them to Christ. Paul did not live according to his freedoms and rights, but he lived as a servant of all. As a servant of all, he flexed toward Jews and he flexed toward Gentiles that he might win more of them. Now, we would expect Paul to stop here when it comes to the people to whom he made himself a a, a servant. He made himself a servant to the Jews and he made himself a servant to the Gentiles. That's everybody. But he also includes a third group that overlaps. Look at verse 22. To the weak... I became weak that I might win the weak. Now, weakness has been an important idea in this epistle. Go back to chapter 1, verse 22. Chapter 1. I'm going to trace this theme of weakness so we can understand what's in Paul's mind when he says, To the weak I became weak. Chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Stop right there. What we see here is that to the natural man, the gospel is a message about weakness. It talks about here in verse 25 the weakness of God. The unregenerate hear the gospel, they might say, What a weak person. Crucified? 
on a cross? Why are you calling me to, to believe in and follow someone who is crucified? That's weakness. The world saw the gospel as a message of, of weakness. In fact, it's, it's a message of the power of God. Because it's by Christ's death upon the cross that we are freed from the power and the penalty of sin. So to those who are called, it, it is the power of God. But the world sees it as weakness. Verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Paul says, Consider whom God has called to himself in Corinth. Not many of you were powerful, most of you were weak. Not many who were called had positions of power and authority and influence. But for the most part, those who, whom, whom God called to the Lord Jesus Christ in Corinth, they were people who were seen as weak. They were in, in, in the lowest classes. But God delight, delighted to choose the weak in order to shame the strong so that no one would boast in man but would boast in the Lord. Go on to chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1, going through verse 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Humanly speaking, Paul came in weakness. He didn't come showing himself to be powerful. And part of the weakness in which he came was the fact that he did not accept financial support, but he worked with his hands for a living while he ministered the gospel and planted the church. So we have a message about a Christ who is seen by the world as weak. We have people who are seen by the world as weak, who are called to Christ. And we have Paul the Apostle. He came to Corinth in weakness. Now go forward to chapter 4, verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8. We're going to go through verse 13. Verse 8. Paul says, using some sarcasm, Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. Like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. 
Paul did not come preaching himself. He came as a humble servant. He came intentionally in weakness. Go forward to chapter 8, verse 7. Chapter 8, we're going to read 7 through 13, starting in verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food is really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. The Corinthians are not are rebuked for not caring about their weak brothers. You are to care for your weak brothers. You're to care for their soul. You're to care for their spiritual well-being. Now come to chapter 9, verse 22. To our text. Chapter 9, verse 22. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. Paul came to the weak. That's, according to chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, that was most of the Corinthian believers. Most of the Corinthian believers were in this category of weak. Paul says, to the weak I became weak. We've been seeing that. To the weak I became weak. Why? That I might win the weak. Now, if Paul followed the pattern that he developed in verses 20 and 21... He would include one more word here than he does. If he followed the pattern, he would say here, To the weak I became as a weak one. But what does he say? To the weak I became weak. Not as a weak one, but I became weak. That included foregoing his right to financial support and working with his own hands. Now the apostle generalizes what he's been saying in the second half of verse 22. In the second half of verse 22, he says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Now we saw back in chapters 1 and 2, that Paul did not sugarcoat the gospel. He did not soften the sharp edges of the gospel. He did not adjust the gospel. But he preached the gospel with all of its offensiveness. At the same time, we see here in our text that as he brought the gospel, he became all things to all people. So as not to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel, using the words of verse 12. So as to bring the gospel to people where they were, so that all people would hear the gospel gospel for what it truly is. Now, there's a key word in verses 20 through 22 that you may have just glossed over is the word become. Look back at verse 20. To the Jews I became as a Jew. Look at the second half of the same verse. To those under the law I became as one under the law. 
Look at verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Look at verse 22. To the weak, I became weak. Further on in the same verse. I have become all things to all people. When you and I follow this example of becoming all things to all people, we reflect Christ and the gospel. I want to show this to you. Turn over to John 1 verse 14. John 1 verse 14. Keep in mind that repeated word become in our text. Paul became as a Jew. He became as a Gentile. He he became weak. He became as one under the law. He became all things to all people. Look at what Jesus did in John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh. The Word became flesh. This is the eternal Son of God who who has a right to the worship of all the angels and for all eternity was receiving that worship. And Christ, the Word, He became flesh. He became flesh. He became one of us. He entered into the human race. He became flesh. Now turn over to Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. One more passage that uses the same word, become. Why did Christ become flesh? Let's see it in Galatians 3. Why did He enter into our world? Why did He become one of us? Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, A. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's why He became flesh. He became flesh in order to go to the cross and become a curse for us. He entered into our race. He became one of us in order to, at the cross, take our sin upon Himself. And to become the curse that was due us. It's the curse of the law that was due us for our sin. Because we've not done everything written in the book of the law. Because we have disobeyed God. Because we've transgressed His law. We deserve the curse. But Jesus became the curse for us. As He suffered that curse in our place voluntarily. So Christ entered into our race. He became one of us. He took our sin upon Himself. He became the curse that was due us in order to do what? In order to save us. In order to save us. You reflect Christ when you, like Paul in our text, lay aside your freedoms and make yourself a servant to unbelievers, becoming all things to all people, entering into their world, laying aside anything in your life that would be an obstacle to the gospel and sharing the gospel with them that they might be saved by the word of the cross. Paul says in verse 22, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. He's not denying that salvation is all of God from beginning to end. Just look at Ephesians 1. But Paul is recognizing that God has purpose to save the elect through the preaching of the gospel. 
You see in Romans 10 that this is the way in which the elect will be saved. Through the proclamation of the gospel by those whom Christ has sent. Paul recognized that God has purposed to save the elect through the preaching of the gospel and that God has given us a role that we must play. We are to save souls in the sense of proclaiming to them the gospel by which the elect are saved. That is saved out of spiritual death into eternal life. Saved from sin's penalty and power and brought all the way to glory. Now how do we live this out in our context? How do we live out what Paul is teaching? How, how do we follow his example in our context? Well, if you were to go as a missionary to another country, you would have to enter into the world of that people with the heart of a servant. In Esther's and my first year of marriage, uh, we, we had the joy of going to Papua New Guinea uh, to serve there for two months. Uh, we went to a, a, missionary, a school for missionary children. Esther taught in that missionary school. And I ministered to uh, the, the missionary kids uh, who were living there and who were attending the, the school. Now, it was much harder for me than I expected. I, I, I left here and went to PNG with great excitement. But it was much harder for me than I expected. Why was it so hard? It was hard because I did not have the servant's heart that was needed. It was hard because I was too attached to my freedoms. Too attached to my rights. The nationals in Papua New Guinea smell bad according to our standards. Their living conditions are very unpleasant according to our standards. You have to give up rights. You have to give up freedoms. You have to become a servant in order to go there as a missionary. If you went to PNG as a missionary, you would have to go as a servant. You, you could not set up a nice Western house and import Western food and expect the people to come to you and hear the gospel. You could not expect them to learn English in order that they might hear the gospel from you. You would have to humble yourself and eat what they eat and live where they live and spend time with them in their homes and learn to speak their language. You would have to, in a sense, become one of them. But you do not have to go to another country to apply this passage that we are studying. Suppose you have Hindu neighbors. My understanding is Hindus do not eat meat. Now, how can you become all things to all people with Hindu neighbors? Well, you could have them over to your home for a meal. And lay aside your freedom to serve meat, learning how to serve a vegetarian meal. Now you might greatly delight in having meat at your meals. But if you're going to become all things to all people, you're going to have to lay aside that right, that freedom. Alright? You're going to have to serve a meal that they are going to feel comfortable eating. Alright? And in that context of sharing a meal with them, a vegetarian meal, in that context, sharing God's word with them. 
Now, to apply this passage, ask the Lord five questions. Ask the Lord five questions. First of all, to whom are you sending me with the gospel? We know that we, as the church, are sent to the unbelievers of this world with the gospel. Ask the Lord, specifically, to whom are you sending me with the gospel? Think about the different people that you know, the different people that you rub shoulders with. Lord, to whom are you sending me with the gospel? And you cannot scratch people off the list of possibilities because they are very different from you. This whole passage is about taking the gospel to people who are very different from you. You can't scratch people off the list because they are so different from you. To whom are you sending me with the gospel? Second question, ask the Lord, how can I enter their world with the gospel? It's not for us to just want them to come to us. No, we are to enter their world with the gospel. So, how, Lord, how can I enter their world with the gospel? Number three, how can I, Lord, how can I establish a platform for sharing the gospel with them? How can I establish a platform for sharing the gospel with them? That's what Paul's talking about here. To the Jews I became as a Jew. To the Gentiles I became as a Gentile. To the weak I became weak. Entering into their world, establishing a platform for the gospel. So Lord, how can I establish a platform for sharing the gospel with them? Fourth question. Lord, what obstacles are in the way of the gospel and need to be laid aside? When Paul went to the Gentiles, he had to lay aside the Jewish practices. What obstacles are in the way of the gospel and need to be laid aside? And then the last question, number five. Oh Lord, would you give me the Christ-like heart of a servant? Would you give me the heart of Christ who became flesh? Who took on the form of a servant? Who went to the cross? who became a curse for us, would you, Lord, give me the Christ-like heart of a servant? Well, so far we have seen in our text the purpose for which we are to make ourselves servants to all. We have seen the people to whom we are to make ourselves servants. And lastly in our text, we have the reason we are to make ourselves servants to all. Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and look at the last verse, verse 23. Verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul says he makes himself a servant to all and becomes all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. In other words, for the progress of the gospel, for the spread of the gospel. And then he says, that I may share with them in its blessings. Literally, share in it. And the it is the gospel. That I may share with them in it. That I may share with them in the gospel. That Paul may share with others in the gospel. You see, Paul cannot be content keeping the blessings of the gospel to himself. And neither should you. And neither should I. 
when you have not earned the blessings of the gospel, but you have received them by grace, received them freely, how can you be content keeping them to yourself? You know, if you earned salvation, then you could keep it to yourself. Keep the blessings for yourself. You earned it. But you didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. If we tried to earn it, we wouldn't achieve it. The gospel is not for the self-righteous. The gospel is for sinners. It's for those who recognize the spiritual bankruptcy. Who recognize their need for salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says to believers, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves, is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Brothers and sisters, you have received a gift of infinite value from the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is of infinite value. Think of the parable of the man who he finds a treasure in the field and he gives up in joy. He, he, he sells everything he has in order to buy that field, to get that treasure. The treasure is Christ. In Christ, we have infinite treasure that has been freely given to us by the grace of God. We are undeserving. And God, for the glory of His grace, has lavished the blessings of the gospel upon us. When we recognize that we are the recipients of these blessings, all of grace, then we cannot be content keeping them for ourselves. We, we have to take the gospel to others as a servant to win souls that others would share with us in the blessings of the gospel. You and I are to make ourselves servants to our neighbors, that our neighbors would hear the gospel, be one to Christ, and we would become sharers with our neighbors in the blessings of the gospel. You and I are to make ourselves servants to our co-workers, that we would become sharers with them in the blessings of the gospel. You and I are to make ourselves servants to strangers, so they would become sharers, or we would become sharers with them in the blessings of the gospel. Is this your heart? The more you get to know Christ, the more this becomes your heart. The more your heart beats like this. Because this is not Paul's heart. This is Christ's heart formed in Paul. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? The Bible says that we were created by God in God's image to worship Him, to glorify Him, to enjoy Him by glorifying Him. We were not created for the things of this world. We were created for God Himself. And yet, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. All of us have transgressed God's law. We've broken His law. And we deserve His eternal judgment. And God would be entirely just in sending us to an eternity in hell. He is holy. 
We have sinned against the Holy One. He is just. He must punish sin. This is what we deserve for our sin. But God, in grace and mercy and love, sent His own Son, Christ, the second person of the Godhead. Christ became flesh. He, he humbled Himself in becoming one of us. He laid aside the glories of heaven. And He came and entered into our race, became one of us, experienced everything that we experienced short of committing sin. He obeyed the law perfectly on our behalf. And then He voluntarily went to the cross. He voluntarily went to the cross to lay down His life as the propitiation for our sins. A propitiation is a sacrifice that satisfies the wrath of God. Jesus hung upon that cross, taking upon Himself the sins of all the elect. He took upon Himself our bitterness, our murder, our rape, our adultery, our lust, our theft, our pride, and all our other sins. He took them all upon Himself upon the cross. He took our guilt upon Himself. And He became a curse on our behalf. God the Father poured out His wrath upon the Son as Christ died there for our sins. God is just. He cannot forgive without someone paying the just penalty. And this is not God saying, okay, I, I, I appoint someone else to take your penalty. This is God Himself taking the penalty upon Himself for our sin. Talk about grace. Talk about love. That God Himself did this for us. Because there is no other way of salvation. There is no way of salvation other than God Himself becoming flesh and dying in our place upon that cross. Crucifixion was the worst of capital punishments. It was for the most vile. It was for the, the, the traitors. And Jesus went to the cross because we broke God's law and He went there to satisfy the demands of God's justice in our place. But Jesus did not stay in the grave. If He stayed in the grave, there'd be no hope to be found in Him. Jesus was raised by the Father on the third day. It's absolutely indisputable that Jesus rose on the third day. We have four independent gospel records recording the announcements of His resurrection and His appearances after He rose from the grave. Jesus Christ is alive today. In the book of Acts, the Apostle Peter proclaimed that Christ was raised by the Father, declaring that Jesus is the Christ, He is the Lord. And the Apostle Paul says that in His resurrection, He was appointed to be the judge of the living and the dead. The Apostle Paul says His resurrection declares Him to be the Son of God in power. 
It is with Christ that we have to do. You may be running from Christ today. You may be ignoring Christ today, but you cannot continue to ignore Him. You cannot continue to run from Him. If you do not find refuge in Christ, then one day you will stand before Him as your judge. And you will have to give an account to Him. And He will cast into the lake of fire all whose names are not found written in the book of life. The Lamb's book of life. You will stand before Jesus whether you want to or you not, or you do not want to stand before Him. And Philippians chapter 2 says, One day every knee will bow before Him and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's no avoiding Jesus. Some will bow the knee on their way to judgment and the redeemed will bow the knee in joy and thankfulness and honor. How will you bow your knee on that day before Christ? Today is the day of salvation. The Lord Jesus sent forth His apostles with the gospel message, the good news of Jesus' death upon the cross for sinners and His triumphant resurrection. And the gospel message calls upon all men, women, boys and girls to come to Jesus Christ in repentance of sin and faith. To believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. You can't have Him as your Savior from hell, but not have Him as the Lord of your life. You cannot split Him into two. He's one person who is both Savior and Lord. And so Jesus Christ calls upon you today to bow your heart, not just your knee, but your heart, your life before Him in faith. To follow Him as your master the rest of your days. Trusting Him alone as your Savior from sin. And the Gospel promises eternal life, forgiveness of sin, a right standing with God, adoption into His family, the gift of the Holy Spirit. To anyone who repent of your sin, turn from your sin, forsake your sin, turning from your sin to Jesus Christ. Promises the blessings of the gospel to the one who believes upon the Son. It's not just intellectual knowledge. The demons know who Jesus is and they believe the truth about Jesus. But the gospel calls you to place your faith in Jesus. To trust in Him. Suppose that someone were to set up a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And they were to, to show that they could walk across that rope. And in fact, they can take a wheelbarrow across that rope. And in fact, that they can push somebody in a wheelbarrow across that rope. And having demonstrated, they could ask you, Do you believe that I can take someone safely across Niagara Falls in this wheelbarrow? And you can say, Yes, I believe you can. But that's not the same as trusting them when they call you to sit in the wheelbarrow as they push you across. That's faith. And Jesus Christ calls us to believe in Him, to trust in Him as our Lord and Savior. And that amounts to a complete surrender of your life to the Lordship of Christ. You you surrender your life in faith, knowing that Jesus died for me, and I now entrust my life 
to my Savior, to follow him as my Lord the rest of my days. Will you follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Paul gave his life to win souls. And we are to give our lives to win souls to Lord Jesus Christ. May you believe in Christ and may you proclaim Christ until he returns. He's coming again. The, the cry in the New Testament is, Lord, come now, or Lord, come soon. Maranatha. That's our prayer. Lord Jesus, come soon. But he will come when he will come. And he's entrusted to us until he comes the ministry of the gospel. He's entrusted to us the Great Commission, making disciples of all the nations, making disciples wherever he has placed you, in fellowship with the local church for the glory of God. And you may have a different gift than others. You may not be as, as skilled in evangelism as others. But all of us are called by the Lord Jesus Christ to play a role in the, evangeliz the evangelization of all peoples. And all of us are to follow the example of Paul. Though we are not apostles, though we may not be full-time ministers of the gospel, all of us are to follow that example of becoming a servant to all kinds of people. Becoming a servant to all Becoming all things to all people. That by God's grace, we might save some. And when they're saved, we glorify God and praise His name. Because as we saw in the first chapter, God has designed salvation in such a way that no one would boast in man, but that each would boast in the Lord. May our lives boast in in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel of your Son. And we thank you that you've entrusted that gospel to us. Lord, I pray that you would enable us by your grace to, to live out and follow the example that you've given to us in this passage of Holy Scripture. Lord, teach us to become a servant to others. Become a servant to unbelievers. To enter into their world. To become all things to all people. That we might share the gospel. That the gospel would be heard for what it is. And that some would be saved. Oh Lord, we know that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But we thank you for your promise in Philippians 4 that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So we pray, Father, that you would strengthen us to live out this passage for your glory. We look forward to seeing what you will do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.